0: Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter nine this morning. Um, I want to uh, want to read uh, beginning in chapter 10. I want to read down through uh, verse 19, and uh, I want to go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, we will we will begin. It says, "Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, "Here I am, Lord." He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food. He was strengthened. Father, this morning I'd like to just bow before you, God, and and ask you, Lord, this morning to be filled with your Spirit, the God that I would be able, with what ability you have given me with the gift and the calling, Lord, to preach your Word. My prayer back, Lord, is this, that, God, that you would give me what I need, that you would strengthen me, God, give me boldness to proclaim your Word, the truth, And I pray for all those that can hear the sound of my voice today. That, God, that we would have our minds opened to to be able to comprehend. Our hearts would be open to receive it. And that, God, we would be filled with the desire to go forward, to go forth as your people, God, proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ has came in this world to save sinners. We pray this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, as I do most of the time, I want to give you a backdrop of where we are at. I don't like to just start um, just in verse 10. But when you begin in, in chapter 8, in verse 1, this is right after Stephen has been stoned to death. It says in, in 8.1, it says, and Saul approved of his execution, talking about Stephen, and then it says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, we heard this morning in equipping hour about the will of the Lord and how God does things. Sometimes we don't really see that for what it is at the, in, at the initial point of it. Something like that right there. I mean, we pray that we would always be filled with peace, wouldn't we? Sometimes what we're praying for isn't exactly what we have in our mind. You know, we may think that, you know, I've got plenty of money in the bank. You know, everything's good. We're all healthy, all this. Man, I've got peace. I'm a Christian, right? Well, in order for the true peace of God to be experienced by more than just ourselves... We have to take the gospel out. Now, at this point, the church was mainly... It just remained right in Jerusalem, and they were preaching, and God was working. But God, in His providence, used this persecution. He used the death of Stephen to not only proclaim the gospel, but He used it to set this scattering, this taking the gospel outside of Jerusalem. He used that persecution for that. So what happens I mean, have you ever seen? Have you ever tried to, to to put something out? It's kind of like trying to put out a fire and using kerosene to do it. it it's 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 only going to spread. It's only going to increase. So when the enemies of God tried to put out the fire of the gospel, it spread. They. Pursued them out. And what did they do? Well, first they went to just Judea, just outside the surroundings of Jerusalem. And they're what? They're preaching the gospel. Then they do the unthinkable. Philip goes into Samaria, the hated neighbors of the Jewish people. And we see God converting the Samaritans to Christ. Then we see something that just doesn't happen. We see Philip then go out into a desert. He's on a a desert or a deserted road. Not in the temple, not in a church service. And what does he do? Well, God calls him to preach to an Ethiopian, and this guy's converted just out there in the desert. There's nothing spiritual about that, as far as buildings and things like that. So, what happens is, there's a man named Saul... And in 9.1 it said, he is still breathing threat and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Paul is went from like what you would call just very hostile and angry that he is furiously raging against the disciples of this Jesus Christ. He wants to absolutely destroy the church. He wants to put the name of Jesus Christ so far out that no one would ever think of this man again. Well, that was his plan. And he went to the high priest, and he had authority. He had letters. He had like an arrest, a warrant for their arrest, that anybody who was of the way, and that's a capital W, the church, the disciples of Jesus, anybody who was in of the way, he was going to arrest. And he would do it forcibly if he had to to the point of even death, if he had to. But he was going to bring them bound to Jerusalem to stand trial and be put in prison. Well, one thing that happened on that way is he's approaching Damascus. He's getting near the town. And, I mean, you can just see he's probably just, you know, a lot of times you watch boxers or something like that, or the MMA fighters, and the closer they get to the ring and it's about to happen, they're so hyped up, you can almost just see... Saul drooling with anticipation of enforcing what he's got authority to go do. And one thing that happened, though, he says, And as he went his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting i don't think for a moment that paul that saul did not know who he who was speaking to him he referenced him as lord who are you lord and he answers i'm jesus whom you are persecuting but then he gives him a command he says but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do now, the men who were traveling with him, they stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul arose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. And there's, there's people, comment, commentaries that will say, well, he was fasting. I don't think Paul was fasting in a sense of like, I'm seeking the Lord I think Paul had had such an experience, he couldn't eat and he couldn't drink. He was now blind, sitting in the dark, probably wondering what had just taken place. Wondering what was going to happen next. I can almost just picture Saul all by himself. He's completely alone In verse 10, it says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now, who is Ananias? Well, it doesn't give us much about him. He's one of three Ananiases that we read about in the book of Acts. One has already made a big mistake, didn't give all that he said he gave, and the Lord killed him. And there's another Ananias who was a high priest. But this Ananias, well, he's our brother. In in the 22nd chapter of Acts, it says he was a devout man. I mean, according to, like, a man that would keep the law, he was devout. He was very well spoken of by everybody that knew him. He had a very good reputation. He was a disciple of the Lord. And so here's this disciple named Ananias, and then it says this, The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So apparently Ananias, I'm I'm assuming, was probably asleep. He could have been awake. I don't know. It doesn't tell me. But the Lord speaks to him in this vision, and he responds with, here I am, Lord. Now, we, we hear a lot today about visions. And can I just give you a side thing just really quick? We're hearing a lot of things about visions, dreams, and such like that. We need to be a discerning people today. And even when we talk about discerning, it becomes all you know, mystical. You know, like, whoa, I can tell. No, that's not how you discern things. We are able to discern things by plunging ourselves into the Word of God and knowing what God has spoken to us in His written, revealed Word so that... When heresy and error comes along, it is very foreign to us. That is how we discern things today. Now, back to where we're at right here. The Lord says to him, he says, rise up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus... Named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Now, I can—I know it's probably silly. I've probably watched too many movies. Probably seen one too many Jack Black movies. Especially Nacho Libre. But can you just picture Ananias? He's like, here I am, Lord. And as soon as he says, there's a man named Saul of Tarsus, one eye just kind of does this. That eyebrow raises up. It's like, what did he just say? Saul of Tarsus. He's praying and he has seen in a vision. God had given him a vision, a a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Wow. nice. here I am, Lord. Well, rise up. I'm sending you somewhere. Man, I mean, that's what we're waiting on, isn't it? Send me, Lord. Isn't that what we want? I mean, man, I mean, God, give us those divine appointments. But wait a second. This is a notorious Person. You know what notorious means? It's famous, but it's, it's, you have a widespread fame, but you're infamous. Now, to the church, this would have been a notorious individual. Someone who had no greater desire than to destroy them. Think about that today. What was it? A couple years ago, we've got to listen. Maybe a several of you have. It was Justin Peters, and he had a call-in show or something like that. And he gets a phone call one night, and the guy on the phone says, "My name is Costi Hinn." And Justin's like, "Well, that's an interesting last name. I, I talk about a guy with the last name of Hen a lot." And he goes, "Yes, that's that would happen to be my uncle." Benny Hinn. And Costi Hen, the nephew of the infamous, the notorious Benny Hen, had been converted by Jesus Christ. And when that hit the airways, when that hit the social media, what is it that we do? Could it be real? Could a relative of Benny Hinn really be saved? I mean, he was in on fleecing people probably like Paul later Paul's going to give a testimony he says I did it ignorantly Can I just tell you something I want you to know something whoever you are today if God is after you there is no escape there is no escape it's about like it would be a, you'd have a better chance of trying to hold up an avalanche of snow in the mountains of Colorado or wherever you want to go, you'd have a better shot at, at preventing an avalanche from happening than stopping God from overtaking you in salvation. What about recently, about three, two, three months ago, Benny Hinn says, I have renounced the prosperity gospel. Only that a couple days later he's asking for money. Now, it seemed to be less money. Maybe he wasn't gonna prosper as much. I don't know. Maybe it's a definition of prosperous. But it didn't take very long that it just didn't seem like it proved out, did it? It just seems to be the same old guy, just kind of repackaging something in a way he says it. But what about real lately? Man, social media has hit a firestorm, hasn't it? What about Kanye West? What about a guy like that? I mean, this guy just a few years ago rewrote Genesis. This guy is married to a Kardashian. I don't know. Probably a lot of y'all love her. I don't know. You should. You should. You shouldn't love what she's about. but So it's... Was... So how many times have we looked on the Internet lately, on Facebook? That's all I've got. If y'all got Twitter and Instagram and whatever else, I don't know. How many times has it said, is Kanye really a Christian? Well, see, that's kind of what, that's kind of what Ananias is saying to the Lord. Look, look at this. Ananias says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. How much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. I heard about him holding the coats for when they stoned Stephen. I've heard of the ones that he put to death. I've heard of the ones he put in prison. I've heard about the ones he beat. And matter of fact, Lord, here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Do you think Ananias has a concern here? Why is it that when it's somebody like this... They're so much more under the microscope. Well, they're out there in the public. I mean, there's been other people through the years that were somewhat popular, maybe in a regional way. I remember uh, Herschel York, he's the preaching professor, I think, at Southern Seminary, told about in the, in the town that he was preaching in, he was a pastor of a church, there was a, a, a singer, a husband and wife duo, he was the manager, and she was the lounge singer. So it probably kind of dates it a little bit. I don't know if that's real popular now. But she was very popular. And then all of a sudden, man, the word is out. They've been converted. They are now Christians. And they're attending his church. I wish I had time to tell you the funny story that goes with that, but I I probably shouldn't. But the point is this. I mean, it makes news, Right? And then we question those more than we will the person that really nobody knows about, like me or you. Oh, they're a Christian now. Well, praise God. Was well, Saul really a Christian? Is Kanye really a Christian? So so he has this concern. But listen to this. Here's the key verse in this whole section right here. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine. That right there is it. That's enough said. Go. He is a chosen instrument of mine. And what's he, what's he going to do? He says he's going to carry my name before the Gentiles, before kings, and before the children of Israel. And I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So let me ask you something. When we have these notorious people, these Christians, that we just don't know, I mean, first of all, are we the judge of that? Absolutely not. We should, first of all, rejoice that Saul, the persecutor, is now going to become Paul, the preacher. We should be rejoicing in that. We shouldn't be so quick to judge or so quick to criticize. Oh, but I heard him say this the other day. I'm speaking to Kanye now. My wife asked me, she goes, what do you think? I said, I'm not real big on everything being a musical, personally. I'm just not a musical type of guy. I'm talking about the plays and movies that drive you crazy. I know, Shelby's in here somewhere and she loves them. She's good at them, I hear, but uh, not my deal. I don't know what to do with some of this stuff, but I want to ask you a question. When you first became a Christian, did you say any boneheaded things about Christianity? Let me, let me tell you, let me tell you the first time I got up and expounded on scripture. I read this verse and it was just lightning bolt to me. He says, there's not even a sparrow that falls to the ground that your heavenly father doesn't know of. How much how much more are you than that? And I said, see, brethren, we're no better than the birds. <laughs> okay. Right out of the gate, I face planted, right? And you know what's even worse? I didn't realize until a couple years later. So not only did I face plant, but I'm a slow learner. Okay? If if you listen. Because you're not famous, guess what? Not everything that you say and you do is going to be under the microscope. But if you're famous and the whole world knows you, you know what you really ought to be doing for a guy like Kanye West? You ought to be praying for him. You ought to be praying for the man that God has placed in his life. And I think his name is Adam. Does anybody know? Is it Adam or Andy or something like that? Adam? You ought to be praying for him. And I thank God for that man because he proclaimed the unadulterated truth. When he sits down and disciples him, he doesn't do it accordingly how you're a celebrity. He was doing things on Sunday. And he says, hey, brother, if you want me to come, you're going to have to change the day. You need to be in the house of the Lord on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. And at this point... Kanye is receiving this. Now, he's the big name. He's the celebrity. He's the star. Here's this nobody pastor. It's not a John MacArthur or a, some big, you know, celebrity type preacher. It's just He's going to be, sad to say, poor guy. Pray for him too. So we don't need to be coming with judgmental attitudes and criticizing. But let me tell you this. Time is the great prover of all things. Time is the great prover. I mean, you know how aggravating it is a little bit? Not only did God save Costi Hen a few years ago, the guy's a fantastic preacher. I'm like, I try really hard to sound that smooth, and it just doesn't work. But Don Kern said, everybody needs their wild man, so I'll, I'll take that. So, everybody has their place in the body of Christ, right? If you're in Christ... So here's the deal. I want you to think about this. Let's just go back and let's look at this. Look at verse 15. He says, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to do these certain things. Do you know that God was saying the same thing to Ananias? I saved you. You, Ananias, are a chosen instrument of mine. And here's what I'm going to have you do today. You're going to go and you're going to lay your hands on this man named Saul from Tarsus because he's been praying for three days. He hasn't eaten. He hasn't drinking. Drink, drink. There's no drinking. Well, there kind of is, but that's a different word. Look at that. That's amazing. I just make up words on the fly. So, so, here's the thing. He says, you're going to lay hands. He's going to be able to see again. And he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The very same way that God chose Ananias is the same way that God chose Saul. And he has a specific purpose for Ananias as he does for Saul, as he does for Landon Anderson, or Travis Jolly. You, brothers, sisters, are chosen instrument of the Lord. And he has a certain purpose for you. A certain purpose for you. Interestingly enough, listen to this. It goes on and he says, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. It says, now listen, so Ananias departs. He's he's been called by the Lord. He's been commissioned by the Lord. Now he's going to be obedient. He departs and he enters the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, can you imagine how good that sounded to Saul? Saul. Saul had came to Damascus with papers to lay his hands on Ananias and bind him. Ananias comes. Saul went in the spirit of a God-hating spirit. Ananias goes in the spirit of the Lord, and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus... Who appeared to you on the road. He's letting him know it is Jesus who's sending me to you. Because outside of talking to you, I don't—I shouldn't even know this. But Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to think about this. He was on his way to Damascus. To bind, to put in prison, anyone... Okay, everybody, that baby's okay. That one, that one belongs to me, kind of. So... <laughs> he was on his way that any belonging to the way, he was going to bind and bring to Jerusalem. Now, I want you to think about this. On the way, to gather up those of the way, he comes in contact with... Jesus said, what? I am the way the truth, and the life. He experienced the way, a light shone around him that was brighter than the noonday sun. He experienced truth, and now he's going to experience the life in Christ. And after Ananias lays his hands on him, it says immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Now, they say that Charles Spurgeon, when he would preach a sermon, he would have eight sermons going on in his mind all at the same time. I want you to realize there's a lot of things I could bring out in this, but there's certain things I want to bring out today, so we may spend we may spend a little bit of time the next time I'm preaching this also, because I do want to talk about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I want to talk about what it means to be baptized here. But here's what happened. After this, after he's regained his sight, he's been baptized, he eats, he's gaining strength. And it says, and for some days, I think in some of your translation it says for much days or many days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And if you want to know how long that was, just so you'll think it wasn't like a week or so, it was three years. And immediately, now listen to this, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the Son of God. Let's go back to Kanye for a second. A man in a small group class, him and his wife, were sharing with the other group that she said, I used to be the nanny or something or maid, I don't know what it was, for Kim Kardashian. And this guy says, hey, my cousin or somebody, he used to do stuff for Kanye West. And somebody says, hey, you ought to invite him to church everybody laughed. Well, they just did a crazy thing. They did. They invited him to church. The first Sunday he showed up, the pastor didn't even know he was there. He was gone and he left and didn't even know he was there. And then he came again. They said, hey, do you know Kanye West has been coming to church? He's like, oh, that's cool. He just kept preaching the gospel. He was just faithful to do what God had called him to do. And Kanye kept coming. And he said, I want to meet with you. And somewhere in here, God saved him. And immediately he comes out with a new album called Jesus is King. Now I could I could just stop right there and I want to just compare a little bit to this new convert named Kanye West. He goes from his secular stuff to to make an album called Jesus is King. I've watched a few interviews and, you know, different than what I'm used to. But in every one of them, he is exalting the lordship of Christ. He is exalting. He is talking about repentance. That that was my old life. He is, I am now his and I live for him. Compare that to, okay, I'm putting this in quotations. The pastor of the largest church in the United States down there in Houston little Joe Olsteen. On the Larry King show, Larry King says, Now, you, do you believe that Jesus is the exclusive way to salvation? And I'm going to imitate Steve Lawson imitating him. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't want to judge that. Well, surely you're saying that Jesus is exclusive to salvation. I mean, you're a Christian pastor. Well, I don't know. He, I, my dad went a lot of times over to Africa, and there was these people over there, and, and they were very genuine in their worship. And, and, and I, I believe they know God. But, but for me, Jesus, that, that, that's for me. He had a pretty much an international, at least... Audience. To say he dropped the ball would be an understatement. That man is no pastor and that is no church. And you have this rapper. Sorry, I still can't understand it. Got to do lyrics for somebody my age. Comes out with an album called Jesus is King. Now, is Kanye West a true born again believer? I don't know. I'm going to take what he's saying and I'm going to go with it. And I'm going to let time be the prover of is this real, is it genuine? I'm also going to give him room to face plant, make mistakes and things he says the same way that I wanted to give everybody to give me, the same that I will give you. We're still refined, we're still being transformed conformed to the image of Christ so how do we respond how do we respond to these people well Paul immediately starts preaching Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of God this he has just gone from Trying to persecute Christ, to destroy the church, to now, he's like, he is the Son of God, and listen, and all who were, and all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem, and those who called upon his name, and has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? I mean, isn't this the same guy? Isn't it, isn't, isn't this him? I mean, can you see the disciples? Can you picture this? Listen, it's not just a story in the Bible. It's real life. We see it being lived out on social media right now. Is this guy for real? I pray to God he's for real. Not because he's a celebrity. Not because he has potential to do all this. But I pray that he's real so that he will be in heaven with the Lord for eternity. I'm not looking to be his buddy to promote our church. We've had celebrities in our church. Never watched that show about the Duggars. I've never seen it. I just couldn't figure out how come this guy didn't have a last name. When somebody finally told me who he was, what's his name, Josh? John? I never can get him right. I finally went up to him, and I was messing with him, and I said, Man, usually you look awful familiar. I said, you live around here? I said, you live in Sulphur? Because I do phone work over there. Maybe I've been in your house or something. He's like, no, no. He would not give no information. Finally, I teased him, and I said, I know who you are. I said, I really came over here just so you'd sign my Bible. (laughs) And I said, "No, I'm just teasing again." I said, "I've never even seen your show, man. I'm sorry." <laughs> he was, you know, I think I think he was he liked coming to our church because he didn't have to worry about people, you know, trying to get autographs and stuff. Good luck, I won't do that for anybody. So, so here's the thing: How do we respond to these people? How do we respond to somebody that's a notorious person like the Apostle Paul? He's preaching that he is the Son of God. And everybody that heard him was dismayed. They were blown away. But in 22, it says, Saul, he was increasing all the more in strength. And and I I don't think he's talking about physical strength. I don't think he's doing push-ups and stuff. I think he was growing and abounding in his understanding of of who Christ is and and the Scriptures. And, And then he was doing this. He was confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Now, think about this. This is the guy they're all waiting on. He's the the leader of the persecutors, you know. He is the definite article, the persecutor of the church. And now he's arguing with them. And they cannot withstand the wisdom. So what do they do in verse 23? When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. I, I, I I never am ceased to be amazed at how the enemy responds to Christians. We can go up and be doing open-air preaching, and even though they will ask us a question, when we try to answer, they just shout, and they just they interrupt you. They, they try to do anything to keep you from speaking. Do you not think that's demonic? I mean, think about that for a moment. I think Satan knows good and well... That if that word goes forth, and it lands in people's ears. So what do they try to do? Now, I'm going to tell you something. Even all their shouting and trying to shout you down, it doesn't work either. It is frustrating. I ain't going to lie to you. It is frustrating. They took it to an extreme measure. They said, let's kill this guy. Now, they couldn't just go do it on their own authority. Why why couldn't they just go... And just grab Paul and kill him? You always got to remember Paul was an actual Roman citizen. You better be careful how you touch the Roman people. He actually had citizenship in the Roman population. So, they plotted, they were plotting to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. It was revealed to him. And they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But, but the disciples, they took him by night. And they let him down through an opening in the wall and lowering him down in a basket. So they put him in this basket, and they lower him down, and he escapes. Now listen to this in verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Church, do you know that this was three years later? This was three years. He, he's never had any apostolic inst- instruction. Now, there's a good reason why. His instruction actually came from the Lord himself, and he was an apostle. So, kind of skip that one. But, we they didn't have social media back then. They didn't even have telephone or telegraph. I mean, people, no doubt, Damascus probably... Ran the longest marathon of the day back to Jerusalem and said, you're not going to believe what has happened. But still yet, can you imagine when he finally shows up in the flesh? I mean, you just kind of picture that scene. Everybody's slamming shut, you know, their doors, locking doors, locking windows, closing the shutters on the windows. Because they were afraid of him. And they were filled with unbelief that he was not a disciple of Jesus Christ. I can give a little bit of testimony to this. When Randy and I came out of the Church of the Firstborn, I'm kind of naive sometimes, I guess. I thought that all these people out here in these normal churches, which I wasn't quite right about that one either, but I thought they would be thrilled to death that, They Listen, everybody knew who we were. They knew who I was for sure. Now that we had left and now we're coming there, we just thought they'd be thrilled and just be like hugging and all this. And that was not the case. They were still stuck in, weren't they, in that cult? That's pretty disheartening. Paul comes to Jerusalem... And he's trying to fellowship. He's trying to join with the disciples there. And they're afraid of him, and they did not believe that he was a disciple. But I thank God for the Barnabases in the land. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. Now, what is he done? He's, he's taken Paul. He says, hey, brother, come with me. He's not afraid of him. He goes and he grabs him up and he says, come with me. We're going to go talk to some guys. We're going to go talk to Peter. And we're going to talk to John. And we're going to talk to these guys. I, I think you're real. I believe you. So what does he do? He goes and the apostles are gathered together. And he says, look, this is his testimony. Any will we even report this. The Lord met with him, had a divine appointment with him on the way when he was going to Damascus to, to, to bind up all the disciples. Anybody that he could find that was calling, that was of the way. And since that time, he has preached boldly in the name of Christ. To the point that on two different occasions, he's had a death threat on his life, and he's escaped, and he's came here to Jerusalem now. And, and listen, our, the disciples are afraid of him. There's a lot of talk going on. They don't believe he's real. And, and, and think about this. No doubt, many of those people that were fearful of him, they very well could have had family. They were still in prison because of Saul. They could have had family. They could have been put to death because of Saul. Even though he's free and he's preaching Christ, he still could be the problem. Do you think that could haunt Kanye West a little bit? Think about that. All the stuff he's saying about all the stuff he's written, all the things he's done... And there's people that's never going to let that Kanye go, no matter how hard he may try to say, that's not me no more. It's tough. But they come and and after he had spoke to them about how he had preached boldly in Jesus' name, in verse 28 it says, So he, talking about Saul, he was able to go in and out among them. At Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Now, one of the things we want to be looking at when we see things like this is, what is the message that they're proclaiming? What is the me- you know a few years ago when Kevin Durant was still in Oklahoma, man, everybody heard this. And here's what here's what Christians will do. Kevin Durant's a Christian. He has this bag he carries everywhere. And there's a Bible in there. He, he said his Bible is one of the things he carries everywhere. Now, never made a statement of anything. And come to find out his pastors, I don't know, Carl something of Hillsong in New York, probably not the guy you need to be your pastor. Never said anything. But... Everybody will jump on that because he's a Christian. I Googled this morning of celebrity Christians. Most of them were considered Christians because they would say things like, me and my husband, we we like to talk about faith. Christian. Uh, Tom Hanks, I like him as an actor. I think he's a really good actor, but theologically he's a mess. He was raised Roman Catholic slash Mormon. I don't know how you do that one. He's now moved on to Greek Orthodox. Christian, right? King of, King of Queens Kevin James said something Christianese. Boom, Christian. We will jump on that stuff and we'll just dub them. Man, they're a believer. We need to really look and is the message not only what they are, are saying, like in their message of who Christ is, what it means to be a believer, but just in their life, is their life being a picture of what a Christian is? You can't go out and make filthy movies and go, well, that's just what I do on my job, but I'm really a Christian. No, a Christian is someone who follows Christ, who imitates Christ to the best of their ability. And when they fail and they fall on their face, they're down there saying, God, give me more grace that I can be like you. But we don't want to be sitting in judgment of the guy who's actually saying, Jesus is king. Hey, I'm going to be honest with you, the guy's nothing like me. He doesn't even know how to do church. And I love Dylan, but I'm not a big fan of rap. I don't care how good it is. Unless your name's Shaolin. And it's just because he slows it down and I can understand it. But I am thankful to God for what I'm seeing at this point. I am not Judge jury, and I've not got him on trial. But I am thankful. Even if it doesn't seem to jibe with the way I think we ought to do things. I'm open to being that God can be God, and God can do what He's going to do with people, as long as it's in line with His Word. Once you get outside of that, we're going to have some issues. So not only was he preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, he spoke and he disputed against the Hellenists. Now, the Hellenists, you had a couple different styles of Jews. You had the, the, the Jew-Jews, they, they spoke the Jewish language, the Aramaic and all that. But the Hellenistic Jews were those that had moved out of Jerusalem and they had, had been influenced by the Greek culture and they spoke the language of the day. And they, those two groups didn't really get along, but, boy, they definitely were all about debate And these were the guys who probably would have been the ones that stoned Stephen to death, who Paul probably was part of. And he's disputing against them. And listen, and then for the third time in this little passage, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Jesus said, I'm going to show Paul what great things he's going to have to suffer for my name's sake. You can go over to... Second Corinthians chapter 11 and start in verse 23 and go down to about verse 28. And you're going to read about times that he was starving, times that he'd been shipwrecked, times that he'd been stoned, drug out of the city, left for dead. He'd been whipped, beaten, ridiculed, mocked, you name it. I want to ask you a question. What if the Lord would have came to you at the beginning of your walk with him and said, Caleb? Let me show you. Let me tell you what you're going to have to suffer for my name's sake. Jesus said those who know they've been forgiven much, they think much. Not only did Paul persecute the church, but his focal point was to eliminate Jesus Christ himself. When Paul says, I was the chief of sinners, it wasn't just a little cliche thing to say. He had done much, but he was thankful much. And because of what Christ done for him, there was no cost too great that he would have to go through to glorify the Savior's name. Now, I want to show you one last thing, and I'm through. And that last verse there in verse 31 It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. Now, Judea would have been the southern kingdom. Galilee would have been the northern kingdom of Israel. Samaria would have been the ones they didn't like. Listen to this. Remember, we we were in a time that there was great persecution. Providentially, sovereignly, God allowed this persecution. We heard about the the decreed will. We've heard about the permissive will today in equipping hour. God permitted, He allowed this persecution to happen so that the gospel would spread. The very persecutor, the very general, the one that was in charge of being the persecutor, what does God do? Well, He saves him too. Now, I want you to picture this. Can you imagine the council, the Sanhedrin, going, this wasn't good? We sent our number one guy. We can't do nothing to him legally because he's a Roman. But if this stuff can convert him, we better come up with a different plan. So providentially and sovereignly, just as quick as the persecution started, God now says, we're going to have a time of peace. Yes, God is sovereign over our circumstances. Whether things get hot to a boiling point, whether they're calm and we like it, you know, we're in a time of peace, right? And he goes on and he says this, and he says, listen, the church, the church is now in Judea, it's in Galilee, it's in Samaria. It had peace and was being built up, not only internally, but adding to it. And listen, they were walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it, the church, multiplied. We serve a mighty God, brethren. We should never be afraid to go share, to go proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. First of all, more so than an avalanche, when God is after somebody, He's after him. And I want to tell you this, I don't know where you're at today, you're sitting here. If you know the Lord, then you need to know this, you're a chosen instrument of His. He's going to use you for His purpose, for your good and for His glory. And if you're sitting here today and you don't know Him... You may be one of those people that says, well, he ain't going to save me if I don't want him to. I challenge you. I dare you. Oh, and let me warn you. If you win that argument, then you weren't a chosen instrument of the Lord. Because if you are, he's going to overrun you. He's going to break you. He's going to change you and make you new. And he's going to make you stand on new feet with a new message and new desires. Just like he did a man named Saul of Tarsus. you will come. Father, this morning, I pray, God, if anybody here does not know Jesus Christ, I pray, Father, that you would crush them today. You'd crush their will, you'd crush their desires, and you'd make them brand new in Christ Jesus. To go from being a slave to sin and death in this world and Satan to being a slave of Jesus Christ. Father, we praise you today and ask you, God, that you would get glory. Even, even as we sing and dismissal, God, let us lift our voices now that we can sing the song of the redeemed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.